Hi there. This is Kurt Olson, uh, president of the IDMI and also uh, co-host of Problematic Voice. And uh, I just wanted to share something with you. We're going to have uh, a friend uh, share her story with you. Uh, a few weeks ago, we did a training in Central Illinois, in Charleston, Illinois, and a couple came up from uh, came up from Mississippi to attend that training, and they were profoundly impacted by the training. And so, uh, Leslie is the uh, wife in this uh, marriage, and I'm going to have Leslie tell you in her own words her story of. Uh, coming to that training and what God did in her life as a result. Well, my story kind of goes like this. Um, got home from work one day and sitting on the kitchen counter was an envelope. It kind of looked like a wedding envelope. Um, invitation might be inside and I have a couple of friends that are getting married. So I was thinking, oh, yay. Um, I opened it. And it was not a wedding invitation. It was an invitation to a little farm in Illinois. It was a international disciple making training. And just looking at it made me furious. Um, this envelope really represented a lot of what was going on in my life, everything that was wrong in it. Um, <clears throat> right before it came, just a few months before it came, I found out my husband, Paul, was having an affair with a woman from a town not too far from here. A few weeks after that, I found out that he had been having multiple affairs with multiple women for years. And I was completely heartbroken. I had not only been betrayed, but as this revelation was coming out, I found out that it had been going on for pretty much our entire 16 years of marriage. We had been together for 20 years, and I was scared that this would be the rest of my life. I love Paul. We are high school sweethearts, and I never could over the years figure out how to leave him. Um, no matter how much he hurt me, I could not figure out how to leave him and try to move on. People would ask me. How could you stay with this man? How could you stay with him and love him after he betrayed you like this over and over again? And I just never had an answer. I couldn't explain it. And I would just say, only God knows why. And maybe one day I'll figure it out. So let me back up just a little bit to explain to you my emotions over the months after that happened. One minute I would be happy that we were figuring things out. And then the next minute I would be a complete mess. I would cry. I would be angry with him. And I guess sometimes like angry at God, wanting to know why. Some days I would not be able to get out of the bed. But I stayed and I just kept thinking, okay, maybe I'll figure it out. And I, but I could not understand why, but I stayed. So, one Saturday night, right after, it was just a few days after I found out about this affair, we got into probably the worst fight of our marriage. It was probably one of those that, this, one, this one's going to be the big one. We're going to, it's going to be over. 
and we were standing on our porch because we didn't want our kids to hear us fighting. And he told me that because of what he had done, he didn't know how to live with me or without me. Didn't know how to make it work. And I didn't either. I was in agony. My heart felt like it was about to stop beating. But when I saw how much pain he was in and that he actually he sh showed true remorse or probably the first time ever, um, I stood there and I told him, I don't want to leave you. I don't want to live without you, but I don't know how to forgive you. But again, I want to. And I said, first, you're going to have to forgive yourselves. And what's more is you're going to have to let God into your heart and accept that you're worthy of forgiveness. And you have to seek that forgiveness through Jesus. And we stood there and it was freezing cold outside, but he asked me to pray with him. And we prayed the sinner's prayer standing on our little porch. And it was beautiful. And I didn't even know it then, but it was just a piece of this masterpiece that God has been working in our lives. And he's still daily working. I just couldn't see it at the time because I was so heartbroken. So a couple of days after that, um, we I think, okay, everything's fine. And I went to work. And during the time that I was at work, Paul reached out to a guy on Facebook, um, a mutual friend who was involved in distributing Bibles in Africa. And Paul said, I want to help you. Like, I feel re really like I'm supposed to be helping with doing this for God. And uh, the friend kind of laughed and said, okay. And he said, well, I'm leaving to, in two days, so you're not going to be able to get on this trip. But when I get back, I'll catch up with you. Paul had seen so much happier in those couple of days after we said that prayer on the porch. He was more peaceful, and he had never been a person who was very peaceful. I thought, well, maybe there's finally a breakthrough, and we are done with all of this chaos once and for all. I'll somehow figure out a way to forgive him, and then we can move on. And uh, when he told me he had volunteered to go to Africa, <clears throat> that was the opposite of um, what I thought was going to happen happened. I was furious. I was enraged thinking, how can a person get saved one day and then two days later feel the need to leave your wife and your kids and just go traipsing off to Africa? One of his affairs had actually happened in Africa, and so I think that's a big source of my rage. Um, he was a government contractor, and um, when he came back, I didn't know what had happened yet, but he had... <clears throat> He had this affair over there and came back and decided to stay home rather than going back overseas. And so we tried to settle into life. And the months leading up to this revelation in January had been absolutely miserable. I kind of joke and call it the fire now because it was utter chaos and misery every single day. Just the thought of him going back, it brought up every type of emotion and fear that I had been feeling since I had found out about the affairs. 
And I asked him, I said, why do you feel the need to leave me again and go over here? And he said, I really felt like God was telling me to reach out to James in some way. And I said, God told you to do it. And he said, I really felt God was telling me to do it. And so it kind of softened me a little bit because I'm supposed to be the good Christian woman. I wouldn't want to disagree with God. And so we just kind of left it at that until a few weeks later, James um, called. He's back from Africa, and we were in town, same town that he lived in, and he asked us to come over. Paul and I were on our way out of town, and we're in the middle of a huge fight. Not the biggest one we had ever had, but a huge one about his affairs. And when he said James wanted him to turn around and come back, I was like, no, take me home. I don't want to go and sit and meet this guy, especially when he's going to take you off to Africa with him. And so Paul just kind of looked at me, and then he said, no, we're going. I feel like God's telling me to go. And that, of course, made me so angry. I probably, um, I, looking back, I, I think I almost was about to put my hands on him. I was so furious. And the whole way to James's house, I was like, turn this car around. Let's go home. And Paul said, no, we're, we're going to go. We're going to go right now. And even up until we got to James's front door, we were fighting. And then he opens the door, and I suddenly find myself in a living room full of children running around. And James and his wife and this other couple were in there, and they were talking about their recent trip to Africa and were talking about, you know, changing the world by sharing Jesus and reading scriptures and laughing and joking and I'm sitting there like is this for real like I was that broken and critical at that moment I said seriously but James even read a scripture um from first Peter it's first Peter 3 1 that talks about a wife bringing her husband to Christ and he said that that verse was talking about me and even with that going on, it was kind of like a little pat on the back, like, good job, good job. I was thinking, Ugh, it won't last very long. This Jesus isn't going to fix this. So during this visit, they invited us to a discipleship training. And to be completely honest, I wasn't listening. I was so mad that we were there that I wasn't listening as they were talking about what it was. They would be hosting it, James and this other couple at this farm in Illinois a month later and because I wasn't listening but I wanted to be a sweet southern lady I smiled and I said sure when they asked us to come and I had absolutely no intention of going and we said goodbye and I thought that would be the end of it so that little white envelope the address in it just a few weeks later we were on our way to it even though a few days before that, I had said, we're not going to that. That's ridiculous. And <clears throat> Paul somehow convinced me. He said, I feel God telling me to go. And again, being the sweet little Southern woman that I'm supposed to be and the sweet Christian woman that I'm supposed to be said, okay, 
and we landed and took a couple of days off work. And so we headed up there and that's an eight hour car ride for us. And so it was absolute, absolutely eight hours of torture. Uh, the whole ride there, I asked Paul questions after question after question about his affairs, asked him about if he loved me or what he saw for our future. And looking back, it's just not my brightest hour at all. Um, it felt like an eternity, and it was all the way up until we pulled up into the driveway that we discussed over and over the same things. Um, when we got there, they were already getting ready to get started. Um, our hostess came and greeted us and said, how was your drive? And we uh, started kind of conversing with the other guests. And all I could think was, what are we doing here? Like, seriously, we just drove eight hours. I was miserable from all of the conversation. And I watched Paul go off and he is all excited and He's talking to all of these strangers, and I've, of course, you know, exchanged pleasantries, and I talked to everybody, but I felt like I did not belong here. Like, I was very out of place with these people that I was supposed to fit in with, like I was an imposter. And so, later on in the evening, we started introducing ourselves and giving our Christian background Everybody, you know, told a little bit about themselves, and I stood up and I said, Hi, my name is Leslie, and I was saved when I was 12 years old. But even though I'd said it that many, so many times over my life, it felt like something was wrong. Like, something felt very off. Everybody else is happy to be there. There was another one woman there that she was, like, glowing with God's love. I mean, honestly. And I smiled on the outside to make everybody think everything was okay but on the inside I was nothing but nerves and chaos and anger and I wanted to go home I wanted to be anywhere in that but in that room so we started that the training that night we had dinner and we started the first few slides from our trainer um, who is from the IDMI, which stands for the International Disciple Making in in Initiative. Sorry about that. Um, so by the time we got done that night, I was exhausted. We had drove eight hours, and then I had sat there and had to act nice for that long. And so uh, they showed us to where we would be staying, and they invited us for some refreshments. And I said, no, thank you. I think I'm just too tired. I'm going to go to bed. And Paul accepted. And I was so annoyed. I was furious that he would accept an invitation and leave me alone in this strange room, in this strange place that I'd never met these people. And why wouldn't you want to spend time with me right now? And it hurt more that he wanted to talk to complete strangers than even be in a room with me. And I just threw my hands up at him and I decided, well, fine, I'll get ready for bed. We'll come down here. We'll fuss about this. We'll say, I love you. And then we'll go to bed. But I sat down there and the longer that I was alone, the angrier I got. And so by the time Paul got down there, I was in a state of complete 
and utter rage is for lack of a better, I mean, rage. I don't think there is any other word to describe it. I was livid. I yelled. I screamed. At one point, I even, after I had questioned, why don't you love me? Why do you bring me to this place? I have no idea what this is. I threw every insult that I could think of at him, thinking it made me feel better. Um, I, I couldn't stop. I even screamed at him so, so much at one point that I started to lunge at him. I was like an animal. And that had not been like me ever in the months leading up to this. I've always been able to keep my cool, but this time was very different. And after several insults, I finally said something to him that I had never said before in our entire marriage. I said, I don't love you anymore. The difference between this and any time we had ever fought before is that I actually thought I, I don't love him anymore. And immediately I could see that he was hurt. He said, I deserve that, but I'm not going to live without you. I'd rather die than lose you. And I immediately, you know, I was ashamed of what I had just done. And then I hurt him and I tried to just kind of soothe him, kind of out of habit, all the years we'd done this, two decades worth. And I told him, I said, God doesn't want you to do that. The kids and I wouldn't be better off. And just kind of soothed him. And I made it, I felt ashamed. And Paul started asking questions. I mean, he he was so hurt. But the questions he was asking had nothing to do with him. That said, I don't understand why God would allow these things to happen to somebody over and over. And I've done so much wrong to you. Why would God let this happen to you? And I, I sat there for a second and after him saying it several times, it was like that anger came back. It was more than it had been before. It was like a huge ball of fire inside of me. And I just, every, every infidelity, every tear, every lie, everything just rolled up into this huge ball that just came out of me all at once. And I screamed at him because I have always put you before God and I will never, ever love you or put you before my God again. And I said it almost out of like I was supposed to. It wasn't, it almost didn't feel like my words. And I have, looking back, it was truly the moment that I was the most broken in my entire life. Um, there's, there's nothing to explain like the hollowness that I felt inside of me. And I didn't feel better. I didn't feel righteous. It was true pain. All of those months had not been pain. This was pain. It was agony. And I lay there and I said, I don't, I, I want to go home, but I can't, I couldn't move. I couldn't even say anything. Paul couldn't say anything either um, for a long time. And then he just said he loved me. I just stared at him. And then finally we uttered a few words. I apologized. 
Um, he told me you loved me several times. I said, I love you too. And then we went to sleep. Um, I was thinking, okay, well, if this is rock bottom, there's nowhere else to go but up. And so I said, we'll figure this out. Let's just go to sleep. And so the next morning I woke up and, you know, every morning of my life, the last few months have been, oh, what's today going to bring? Is it going to be another lie? Or am I going to find out about another woman? Or how am I going to get hurt today? And I woke up different that morning. Um, I didn't want to go home. Um, we got up really quickly and we prepped for the day and I grabbed my Bible and we went and sat down and had breakfast and it was like nothing that had happened the day before mattered anymore. I was smiling and laughing and the night before I had been the complete opposite of the sweet little Southern Belle I was raised to be. Um, I was kind of curt, which is very rude here in the South. Um, I, nothing that I said would come out right. And so I just sat there and looked mad. Like I didn't want to be there because that's how I felt. But I didn't feel like that anymore. Um, when we started the disciples, disciple making training that next day, I was actually excited. Um, so we, we dug in and started studying the Bible and our instructor, Kurt Olson, um, he was really starting to break down what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and to truly serve him. Um, we followed up on our discussion from the night before. We talked about how Jesus' statement to the first disciples was to come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And he challenged us to look and the way that we witnessed and shared the gospel to others to try to change our mindset from focusing on just like a few people like most of us probably do every day and just going and grabbing one person or saying oh i'm gonna go witness to this one person to kind of broaden our scope to include every single person that we come in contact with not looking oh i'm gonna go witness to this person but being a continuous witness to everybody because if a person's heart has been made ready to receive the Holy Spirit by the Father, then they just have to be in the right place at the right time. Or sometimes, I guess how you look at it, the wrong place. You could share with them through your daily walk and the, your speech how to become a disciple of Jesus and share the plan of salvation with them. And he said it was uh, fishing with a net rather than a hook. And we went over a lot of other passages of what it means to be a disciple. And then he dropped a big one on us. He said uh, that we were to look to the word to receive answers for life's questions, how we're supposed to live our lives, obey what it commands. And that the only commandment, or the original commandment, rather, that our life should be centered around is to make disciples. And when he said that, it was like God had issued me a challenge, so to speak. Um, I had a little Walgreens notebook that I had bought um, on a break one day, and I had only used it for a to-do list. 
Um, and I just started scribbling notes. I've never been a big note taker in church. <laughs> um, I, if I did take a note, I never went back and looked at it. And so it felt like, oh, Jesus has given me an assignment. And so I just kind of started taking notes continuously. Um, so backing up just a little bit, um, I was raised in a very rural part of Mississippi. Um, there are Baptist churches, large or small, on every other corner. I think within five minutes, you'll probably pass at least six. Um, going through the little town that I'm from, um, I attended one of the smaller ones. Uh, I was there every single time that the doors were open. Sunday school, discipleship training, Wednesday night service, Bible drills, youth trips, fundraisers, concerts, everything under the sun. I was there. I responded to an altar call when I was 12. Um, it was a fire and brimstone message that my childhood pastor gave, and I was convinced by that fear that I needed to, I needed the Lord and I was baptized. And when, <clears throat> when I walked the aisle at 12, I had actually walked the aisle at nine. And after talking to my pastor, was like, oh, well, that didn't do the trick. Let's do it again. And so when I got baptized at 12, I was convinced that once you were saved, you were always saved. That's what I was taught in, in church, in Sunday school, in conversations with other um, parishioners. And so growing up, in growing up in church, I always knew that Jesus loved me because the Bible told me so, that there was amazing grace, that you could just cast all of your troubles on him and he had you. Um, I was, um, I'm a teacher and I think that I was a learner, like a avid learner at an early, early age. I consumed everything that there was, um, David and Goliath, where it was located, where the crucifixion actually happened. Um, I would find any type of knowledge that I could consume. Um, and I did everything that I could to know as much about the Bible by the time that I became an adult in that little bitty church. And I knew exactly which verses I needed to encourage me and which ones would sculpt me. And for the first few years of our courtship, our dating life, because we've been together since we were teenagers, Paul and I actually sat in that same little church, sitting in, that, in the same pew every Sunday and holding hands and trying to be the version of what we thought Christians should be. So um, I went through a lot of uh, Bible studies as I was, as I got to be an older teenager, as you're kind of prepping for life. And so by the time I turned 18, I was like, I'm good to go. And looking back, I'm ashamed of this, but I would actually stand in church on Sunday during invitation, and I would sing, are you washed in the blood? 
during that invitation on him. And I would almost sing it like an accusation. Like, I thought I was a good Christian. This is for all those other people that are lost. And just kind of thought that I was, I was good for the rest of my life, no matter what I did. And so when we decided to get married, it was that church. Um, Paul actually joined the army right after that. And we have had a life, as you can tell, um, a lot of pain and loss. But I mean, we had happiness. Um, every time something would fall apart, I'd go to the Bible or I'd go to a devotional or um, a YouTube video and it would give me comfort. But it was temporary. Um, when deaths would happen, when we would move, we'd lose friends. Um, our children were born. No matter what it was, either it was a high or a low, good or bad, I was never able to stay happy. I did horrible things as an adult, um, even though I had thought I was good to go. I broke almost every commandment, but I would return to the Bible and the reassurance that God loved me and that my salvation was something that was always secured, that I was once saved, always saved, and that I just had to go back to those same scriptures and that that would give me reassurance every time. And so 20 years later, I'm sitting on this farm in Illinois and we are learning to fish for souls with a net rather than a hook and how important it is to let the Holy Spirit have control all right, in the church like Jesus intended for it to when he chose his first disciples. And that there was no shiny white church then with a steeple for them to go in and to sing hymns that they, they actually were having to meet in private, that the Bible had not even been written yet. The Holy Spirit was what guided them. And everything that was done was sharing Jesus' teachings from one di disciple to another was by the will of the Father through the Holy Spirit. And every single person in the family of God received it through the Holy Spirit. So the rest of that day, like, I'm so hooked to all of this. Um, we finished up um, the training, and we had a lot of fellowship. And I didn't want to leave. Um, that Sunday, we, we did a little bit more um, kind of finishing up um, our bookend in the training and uh, learning how to kind of complete it on our own from here on out. Uh, we uh, examined like a, a Bible study that would allow us to continue these teachings. And so I'm not wanting to get in the car and drive eight hours. I'm actually wanting to stay and keep learning more. I had a lot of doubts and still had a lot of questions. But the first time ever in my entire life, though all that time in church as a kid, all the reassurances that I had to get over the years when bad things would happen, like I finally felt like I understood what it meant to be a genuine follower of Jesus. Like that we were never just meant to be just saved that we were supposed to pay for that salvation by allowing others to know about how great our Jesus is and how great our Father is and that you get this gift of the Holy Spirit. Like I was finally going to go and do what I was supposed to do all along.
And so we got back in that car and drove eight hours, like eight more hours, but it wasn't the same way that it was going up there. It was exciting. And I actually didn't want the car ride to end because we were talking about being obedient to Jesus and his, in God's word. We talked about, you know, fulfilling the Great Commission and, you know, everything that we had just taken in over three days. That's a lot of information that we processed. And as we're going, like, it was like a curtain. The closer we got to Mississippi from Illinois, it was like a curtain kept lifting from my eyes as I was processing all of this information. And it was like little puzzle pieces that just started kind of clicking. Um, I've never liked puzzles because they frustrate me because I'm a control freak. <laughs> and uh, it just doesn't, puzzles were never compatible with my nature, we'll put it that way. And so these puzzle pieces were coming together just so perfectly that it was exciting. Like I was waiting, okay, God. What's the next one? What's the next one? I was always waiting because each one of them was so exciting. And uh, all the scripture that I memorized as a child, you, you know, in Sunday school and Bible drills, all that stuff started making sense to me. Um, even songs, um, my favorite groups. I had even went to a concert recently and all of the songs made more sense. Like their words. It wasn't just comfort. It was understanding. Um, I knew that what the Trinity really was. Um, and now I knew how to explain it to others and wanted to explain it to others so they could feel like I felt in the inside. And so we uh, came to Mississippi. We finally got to Mississippi. It was like one o'clock in the morning. I couldn't sleep. And I had to go to work the next day. Um, I was chatter chattering away. And Paul just kind of smiled at me. He was going to sleep, and I just kept talking. And then after he went to sleep, and have you made talk to me anymore? I talked to Jesus. I was like, okay, show me some more. Show me some more. And so uh, the next morning, I went to work, and I was groggy. Okay, I'm still human, and I still need a lot of coffee. <laughs> but uh, I woke up, and our kids, I had not seen them the night before because we came in so late I was getting them ready for school and I had this just overwhelming love for them I always loved my kids but this was different and I usually yelled at them um for just small little things getting ready in the morning and they really didn't bother me anymore um I got ready for work and I tried to tell Paul about these new pieces that I had put together that God had given me and uh, I was ready to go and make some disciples and looking back, I was like, all right, let's go. Even though I needed a lot more caffeine and I needed God to teach me just a little bit more. I ran off to school and I <clears throat> usually in my life, it would have been that uh, when I got to school, I would have started getting crabbier as the day went on, but it wasn't leaving like the joy that I kept feeling was growing rather than going away. And um, I attended other Bible studies that were great. But within a couple of days, I was back to the same mean, hateful person that I'd always been on the inside. And uh, this was different. I was on fire. And uh, came home that evening and went to go see my parents. 
Um, I had not seen them um, the whole weekend, and so I wanted to go tell them what I knew. And uh, they kind of looked at me, and I was so excited. They were looking at me like I was crazy, like or like I had something growing out of my forehead. <laughs> um, it didn't bother me, though. Like, their uh, confusion didn't bother me. I'm like, oh, well, <laughs> They they just they just are having a bad day or something like I didn't I couldn't figure out why they were looking at me like that. So uh, the next day, so that was Monday. Tuesday, same same way. Um, I started really feeling a strong pull to study the scriptures that we had discussed, especially the ones on obedience and disobedience. And uh, piece by piece, I had. <clears throat> wanted to discover more it wasn't like okay well i've got these few scriptures i wanted to go further in the scripture and see other things that you know god the father was wanting me to know all this time i just not heard it and so uh what was sad is that i realized uh, during the training that i had opened the bible that i had now spent hours in probably um twice since i had bought it and that I had actually used my Bible over those three days. And then that Monday and Tuesday more than I had in 23 years of being a Christian. And, it, you know, I felt ashamed. But I was like, I like this. So let's go. And so uh, that Tuesday evening, um, we actually met James and his family for a Bible study. And uh, I've took my notebook and my pen and my Bible, and I felt like a super disciple, like we're going to change the world. And uh, God was still almost audibly in the back of my head. I had been feeling it over and over again. It was almost like a, shh, you ain't got all the pieces yet. And uh, I could not put my finger on it. But I was like, all right, none of my words were coming out right. Um, so I, I listened to that shh and just kept trying to search for that peace. I had never been this happy before. I had never been this patient before. I'd never been this kind to people before, paid attention to their problems and not my own. Um, and so that little piece as to why I kept hearing that shh was driving me absolutely up the wall. I, would, I sat in our Bible study that night at Tuesday night and James was talking about healing and um, how you can, you know, look to the scriptures again and that God can empower you with all these things. And I still had these doubts coming in. I'm wanting that peace and I have doubts coming in, not about the abilities of God, but like my ability to perform anything that he would put in front of me to do. And uh, I was very discouraged, actually, when we left that night. I was like, why can't I not figure this piece out? Like, I drove home, and I was quiet, which I'm sure Paul probably enjoyed, because I had not stopped talking for days. And so uh, I was trying to concentrate on each of the pieces that I had gotten. Like, okay, God, you've been assembling these. Like, what is that last one? And uh, I went to bed. And I was frustrated for the first time in days, but it wasn't a bad frustrated. It was like a um, a kid who can't get past a certain level on a video game. Like, how am I going to do it? Um, but I, the sleep finally won out because I had not slept very much. Um, 
over the last couple of days. And so next morning I got up and I said, okay, God, um, I'm going I'm to trust that you're going to give me that. And went and got my coffee and sat down. And I guess when I was like, okay, I'm going to trust you, God decided to give me that that piece that I had been waiting on. Um, he reminded me of something that my mama used to tell me. Um, usually she was telling me this about Paul um, during his years of being lost. <clears throat> it was how you can tell if somebody is truly saved or not. Um, she would talk about the fruits of the Holy Spirit um, the, that are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Um, when she would talk about it, she was, you know, saying, you know, you can tell that people are, you know, that they have the Holy Spirit when they have those traits. And when she would talk about those traits, and she's referring to somebody else, I think to myself, well, I don't have any of those. I mean, I have them, but not all of them, and definitely not all of them together all at one time. And uh, even though I thought at that moment, oh, well, that's the final piece, okay, you know, it's from the Holy Spirit, it gave me the piece that would actually finish this puzzle not the puzzle of my life, but the puzzle he wanted me to see right then and brought everything together for the first time in my entire life. So that last piece was um, from the training that weekend. Kurt, our trainer, said something that rubbed me the wrong way. I know you're probably thinking, okay, so this is the piece that settled it all, but it rubbed you the wrong way? Really? But just bear with me. So we're talking about disciple making and Kurt explained that um, when a person comes to Christ, one of the first acts of obedience was to get baptized and then to simply go obey Jesus and make more disciples who do the same. So during this conversation, <clears throat> Kurt smiled as we're all discussing and then <clears throat> he said, well, I got something that'll blow your mind. And of course, you know, I would, I was in full learning mode at that point. And I said, okay, of course, I'm curious to myself and everybody else was too. And he said, you don't have to be born again to be a disciple of Jesus or to help another person become a disciple. It isn't about being saved or unsaved. It's about who you are following. And that coming to Christ is often a process not a bam moment. And sometimes, and usually actually, it occurs over a period of time as the Father's pulling people to Jesus. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. wait, we got to break this down. All right, so <clears throat> how can a person not be born again, but yet lead another person to Jesus? And he dropped the bombshell and he said, well, Judas was a disciple. He was a disciple of Jesus. He followed him. He baptized people. He thought he was right with Jesus. But in the end, he was the disciple who kissed Jesus on the cheek and sold him for 30 pieces of silver. Sold him to the, the Romans and said, here, you know, this is the one you're looking for. And betrayed him 
Jesus called him a devil and said that he was lost. And in that moment, that final piece came together for me with all the other ones that I had gotten. And it was like the most profound feeling of shock as that peace fell into place that I have ever felt in my entire life. And then it wasn't shock, it was true sorrow um, with joy and, and hope all mixed together. Um, I was sitting on the porch, same porch that I had told Paul that he needed to follow Jesus, and I ran into our bedroom and I flipped the light on and Paul was asleep and that light uh, threw him awake and I said, Paul, I figured it out. I was Judas. And he just looked at me like, what? And I said, I was never actually saved. I was Judas. I brought you to I brought you to Jesus, and I told you how to be saved, but I wasn't myself. I was lost, and he looked at me so confused. And so I reminded him of what Kurt had said about, about how you could bring somebody to Christ just by knowing the information, but not truly giving your life to Jesus. And... I figured that he would argue with me, but he didn't. He just kind of smiled. It's like face just kind of, instead of being annoyed, he just started smiling. And I just started telling him about all the other pieces, about the fruits of the spirit and everything. And so he, um, he said, well, that's, that's great. That's great. And then that agony and that sorrow that I felt for just a second, Earlier, it deepened because I realized that, uh, oh my God, Paul, if I had died in those years that I thought I was a Christian, I would have went straight to hell. And I was overwhelmed with the thought that God had stuck with me for all of those years. He had loved me so much that I had said I was a follower of him and had never once been truly his. I had never given my life to him. And so as I'm talking and I'm crying and, you know, I have the joy and sorrow and shock, everything, like I realized that it wasn't just joy that was growing inside of me. It was the Holy Spirit taking up residence in me for the first time in my entire life. Even though I had sat in a church, I had sat in Sunday school, I had volunteered at Vacation Bible School as an adult. I'd done all the things, all the checklists that I was supposed to do as a good Christian. I had never once been a true follower of Jesus. And I was in complete amazement that God would have saved me. And so when I looked at Paul and I said that, he said, well, praise God you didn't die during that. And so I just truly, for 
for the first time in my life, like just stood there like in true amazement of what God can truly do and how much he really loves me. And so uh, I was like, oh my gosh, why, why would he have done this for me? Uh, all these months of misery and everything had actually come and been wrapped up in this nice, neat puzzle, almost like a big red bow. Um, it had started with that little white envelope that made me so mad on the kitchen counter. And I looked back on all of it and I was like, oh my gosh, I could have died at any point in all of this, all of this misery. And I thought, oh, praise God. Thank you for your love. And I was in awe of him keeping me safe through all those years when I had been such a wretched, wretched person, pretending that I was truly saved when I wasn't. And so... I tried later on to pinpoint like the exact moment when joy had started to take over in my heart, when the Holy Spirit really started changing the miserable person that I was. It was not an aha moment in a pew. It was not a moment of fear of going to hell. It was in that little basement bedroom in Illinois when I decided and didn't even know it to stop putting somebody else before God. It started when I told Paul that I did not love him anymore because for my entire life, as far as I could remember back to being an early teenager, I had been with this man and I had, he had been the thing that I loved most in this world. And I loved him with a love that was not an eternal love like I had always thought it was. It was an earthly love because he was my idol. What I have now is an eternal epic all-consuming love from the creator of the universe and I had said I love God in the past but I really didn't I love the idea of a God who died for me who looked out for me and would take me to heaven but I thought I was entitled to it because I walked the aisle and supposedly gotten saved I claimed to have accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior except when I wanted to do what I wanted to do I wanted to control my life. I had not wanted him to be in control of my life. I wanted to do my own thing like an obstinate child. And then when things went wrong, I wanted my heavenly daddy to make it better. I wanted, I never wanted God unless I wanted something from him. I didn't want to give anything of myself to him. And even though I behaved that way for so long, for 23 years, since I was 12 years old, he still loved me enough to pursue me and to save me with the blood of his son. Um, the fact that he had that much love, not only the love, but grace and mercy to accept me into his family means so much to me. 
because all I could think about was how many people did I tell that I was a Christian and I wasn't. I was not a Christian. I was not a person who had given their life to God. And how many of those people went on to think, well, if that's what a Christian looks like, then I don't want any part in it. And had I died during that time thinking I would go to heaven, I would have went to hell. It was just this, I have no words to explain how wonderful it feels to know that God loves me that much. And so I wanted my first act after realizing this to be one of obedience. Now that I was truly born again, I knew that my first act of obedience needed to be getting baptized because I had learned that and I knew now that everything I had thought before was wrong and that just because I got baptized when I thought I got saved when I was 12, that I needed to be done, baptized the right way. And if there was anything that I was determined to do for the rest of my life on this earth was to be obedient. And that's exactly what I told Paul later on that day. And uh, so it, he did not want to baptize me at first. Um, he smiled and uh, because I was asking him, to, let's go do it, uh, do my baptism in the uh, baptistry at church. And he just looked at me. He was like, no, I don't think so. And uh, I said, no, I'll, I feel a true need to get baptized now. Because I do want to be obedient. Because God loved me this much. I need to be obedient for the rest of my life. It's not an option. And so we uh, got home that evening. And it's just five days after we left to go up there. Five days after God putting this puzzle together. That we walked down to the little pond behind our house. In the middle of the night, I think it was probably like 1030 at night, and it was cold. And I was baptized as a true disciple of Christ by my husband, another disciple of Christ. And in doing so, I completed my first commanded act, not an optional act, commanded act of obedience as a born-again believer and disciple of Jesus. And amazed and awestruck, you know, are words that we throw out there. And those are just two of the ones that I could use. Um, I'm a work in progress. And I know that I will not always be perfect. But I know now that I have a true faith. And that I am forgiven. Not because I am worthy. But because God knows my heart. And that it truly belongs to Him now. It sings praises to Him. The fact that the one who sent His own Son, and I have children, and I can't even Im imagine what it felt like for to send His own Son to die for me, and that He watched over me, loved me, and poured out nothing but love and mercy on me, even though I called myself a believer. That will always be a testament to the relentless love God has for us all. I know now that obedience is the only way to ever show my gratitude. Because it is impossible to repay that.
because that is epic, all-consuming love that we have no ability to reproduce. And so the only way that we can pay it back is through obedience. This is the greatest joy, but the greatest, <clears throat> the greatest reminder of the greatest love story that has ever been told. I don't know what tomorrow brings, <laughs> but I know who holds it now. And it's not just words anymore. I'm finally able to trust in what he has planned for me. I'm able to look into each day and know that no matter what, that he is holding me. And for every day, it'll be a day by day, moment by moment, breath by breath. I will use my life to be obedient to him because that is what we are commanded to do, to say, I love you back. Amen. Now, if this story that you just heard impacted you, or, or if you think that it might impact somebody that you know, feel free to uh, pass it on. If, if you find yourself in a situation like Leslie was in, she was dedicated to church, but she wasn't dedicated to Jesus, then feel free to contact us. You can go to our website at theidmi.org. You can email us at info at theidmi.org. And if you'd like to have a training like this at your place, or if you just want to know more about how to become an obedient, reproducing disciple of Jesus, then please get in touch with us. God bless you.